You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we still find ourselves. And I tell you, while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 1, you can also go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8, because we're going to be heavily looking at uh, Romans 8 as we go through our verses in Ephesians this morning. And so you can just go ahead and have your finger there in Romans 8, as that will be our main reference text as we look at our verses in the book of Ephesians this morning. We'll also reference what Paul has to say for us there in Romans 8. So to this point in our Ephesians series, we've analyzed verses 1 through 10. That's what we left off at last week was verse 10. And in these verses, we've been challenged to praise the glorious grace of God as we've analyzed this incredible exclamation of praise from Paul. As that's what we're seeing here in verses 3 through 14 is this, this exclamation of praise. And in this praise, which we've been challenged ourselves to do, we've been encouraged to then see the rich inheritance which God has blessed us with in Christ. That he has given us an inheritance of salvation and redemption in Jesus. And this morning, as we wrap up this exclamation of praise that's found in verses 3 through 14, we're going to see and look deeply at these last four verses in this long sentence of praise. As, I was, as we've been reminding ourselves that this is just one long sentence in which Paul is just building on and continuing to expound upon the praise of God and God's grace and his glory to us in Christ. And as we do so, as we look at these last four verses, as this morning we're looking at verses 11 through 14, we'll continue to be challenged. We'll be challenged to see where it is that our inheritance is stored and secured, as well as we'll be challenged to see the purpose which we are called and created to live as we seek to obtain this inheritance. And where can we obtain this inheritance? And where has our inheritance already been obtained? And then at the conclusion of this morning's sermon, we're going to, be, uh, we're going to have our typical time of response in which we respond through singing the word once more after we hear the word preached, right? And so, but this morning it's going to be just a little bit different as we're going to sing a new song. Our choir, our praise team will introduce a new song to us. But this song is written straight from Paul's sentence of praise here in Romans chapter 3 through 14. And so I'm looking forward to, to concluding this sentence of praise this morning and then for us to then uh, reciprocate that praise through singing it ourselves. So I'll ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word as we read from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were, first, were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, which you have given us and revealed yourself to us through it, that we might be to the praise of your glory. And so as we read your word this morning, as we hear your word preached, and as we study and analyze it, as we've already done in small group discipleship, but now as we do corporately together as as your saints here at Southside, may it affect change in our hearts, may it convict us where necessary, encourage us where we need it. Shine light where there is darkness in the corners of our heart. And then may it affect change in our lives as we leave this place to be to the praise of your glory. So that as we go out into a world that is adamantly against the praise of your glory, we would shine like lights in the darkness. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated this morning. Hopefully, you grabbed an outline on your way in. Uh, As usual, that'll be our guide through God's word this morning. The answers will be on the screen behind me. But uh, so we see here, starting right off the bat in Ephesians 1, 11, we left off, as I said, last week in verse 10, where we saw the, the God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things is in Christ. And so we start off with this word, once again, in him. And we've seen that word and that phrase many times throughout this. But we see in him, we have obtained. So we have this this current, this possessive language, this uh, language that is is, uh, fixed in the current time that we have this uh, inheritance. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. So all the blessings of inheritance, which we've been talking about this word inheritance all the way back to where we see in verse 5 that he has adopted us to himself, all of us having the rights of the firstborn son and all of us having those rights, not in and of ourselves, but having those rights in Christ as the firstborn, that in him already all the blessings of inheritance can only be found, therefore, in Christ. And this inheritance of redemption, and this is ultimately what our inheritance amounts to, is the redemption of our souls, our salvation. This inheritance of redemption has already been obtained in Christ. There's that present possessive language. In him we have obtained. And so it's held for us in Christ. So Though we are not yet in our final form, as though we could all attest to that, if we were to give testimony to how we are currently doing and living out our life in Christ, we would all attest to the challenges which we face in seeking to try to live out our life in Christ. So we know we're not in our final form, and we know that we're not, we haven't reached that, that final glorification that we will on the last day in Christ. But nor are we experiencing the full benefit of inheritance that we have in Christ. But yet he uses this possessive language that in him we have obtained an inheritance. So this promise is sealed 
this promise of inheritance, this benefit of inheritance as adoption through son, as sons, is sealed, it's a sealed promise of God's faithfulness. That because of the work of Christ, those of us who are found in Christ, that promise is as good as ours. The inheritance is as good as ours now in the present time. So notice in this one sentence of praise, spanning verses 3 through 14, how many times Paul uses that phrase of in him or in Christ. So go back to verse 3. We'll start there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. Now verse 7, here's our next one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, our next one. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan, verse 10, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Bringing us to today's verses. In him we have obtained an inheritance. And our next one, which we'll get to in a little bit, goes down to verse 13, that in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. We'll break that down a little bit. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. But the point that I'm making and wanting us to see the, the repetition here of this phrase, in him or in Christ, and Paul constantly throughout this one sentence pointing in him, in him, in Christ, that our inheritance is obtained in Christ. Therefore, for those of us who are in Christ, the inheritance is already as good as ours because of God's sealed promise and faithfulness that he has shown from generation to generation through his word. He is our focus, church. He is our goal. He is our reward. If we obtain everything in this life, but are not in Christ, then it was all meaningless. It was all meaningless. At the same time, if we achieve nothing of stature in the eyes of this world, but are to be found in Christ, we've obtained riches beyond measure. As this is Paul's point, as he says, he's, he's lavished the riches of his grace on us already in Christ. And so he has given us who are in him this sealed promise, this assurance, this firm foundation that cannot be shaken. That no matter what we experience in this life, that if we are found in Christ, we have already obtained an inheritance beyond measure. And he expounds upon this. You can flip now over, as I said, to Romans chapter 8. Keep your finger there in Ephesians because, of course, we're coming back there. But Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And so we're going to kind of 
work our way backwards through Romans chapter 8. So we're starting here in verse 31, but we're, as we march through these few verses here in uh, Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14, we're going to kind of work backwards in Romans 8. So Romans 8, verse 31. We see Paul say this to the church at Rome. What then shall we say to these things? And the things that he's talking about and referencing here is our future glory, our inheritance in Christ, essentially, that everything that we obtain in Christ. And so he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Because he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Paul's root of assurance, his, his, his anchor where he points in the storm to say to this church at Rome that we have all of this, all of these glorious inheritance, our future glory, our, our glorification that is to come, our inheritance in Christ. We have all of these things in Christ. And if we need assurance then look to the cross. Because if God is for us, how can anybody be against this? Because he who sent his son there to the cross on our behalf, that is where we can see that if he sent his son there, that he did not do that in vain. But that he will continue to produce in us and bring about in us his glory. He gave him up for us all. We're still in verse 32 there of Romans 8. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a char any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And so he said, he said, make no mistake, because he, not only did he die for our sins, but he was raised, so don't forget that, who is at the right hand of God, and now he sits reigning on high, who indeed, not only is he reigning on high, but he's actively what? We continue reading there. Who indeed is interceding for us. And so he is actively at the hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf, making known to God the Father who we are. As if he didn't already know. But he's, he's there on our behalf. He's entered the curtain. He's gone to where we could not go and done what we could not do. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So he's saying this to a church under great persecution, but he's saying the place that we look for in our times of persecution, in our hardship, is the very place where God sent his son on our behalf. He who did not spare his own son, will he not also give us all things? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So through all of these persecutions, through all of these sufferings, he is bringing about in us his glory. 
And we are conquerors, though in the eyes of the world, we may be stepped on and, and, and downtrodden and put down. But through him who loved us, we are more than conquerors. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the assurance that we have in him, that Christ's work on the cross is our anchor always. How can we trust that our present sorrows will give way to victory for his glory? Because we've obtained an inheritance. It's ours. It's as good as in our hands already because we are found in him if we are found in him. It's ours guaranteed. He's already bought it. He paid the price. That which he bought at such an expense, he will not allow to slip through his grasp or escape his care. And so for those of us here this morning that may be experiencing difficulty in overcoming sin, or maybe you're experiencing difficulty in, in remorse or in grief, or maybe you're experiencing hardship of some other kind, whatever it is that we experience because of the sinfulness and brokenness of this world, we have already conquered that in Christ. And he is using that. He is using our present sufferings to bring about his glory and our good. Well, how can we, how can we know this? How can we trust this? Well, we keep reading there in verse 11. We're back in Ephesians Back in Ephesians 1, verse 11. So in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We take confidence that he who bought us and called us has done so according to his will and his working. Don't believe for one second, church, that anything that happens to us is outside the scope of God's will. This is what gives us hope, that even in our sufferings, he is working to produce his glory in us, just as much as he is in our victories. And this is what gives us confidence, that he bought us, and if in our sufferings we need hope, we look to the suffering of Christ to see that that is, what, that is the price he paid. He paid the price set from eternity according to his will. Everything that happens in our lives is totally and wholly meaningful. Everything working together for his glory. What confidence we can have in that. What hope we can have. If we are just glorified space dust hurtling through space and everything that happens is according to chance, what hopelessness there is in that message. And this is why we see the world groping for any sense of happiness and joy and peace. They look for it everywhere. 
because they can't find it in their worldview or in their own stony hard hearts. But we have this hope in Christ that even in the worst things that this world has to offer us, God is using it for his glory. And he has purposed it for his glory. I was listening to a secular podcast earlier this week. And the host had on a cognitive neuroscientist. Had to practice saying that beforehand. Cognitive neuroscientist. And this neuroscientist was describing the premise of his latest book. And in his latest book, he details this theory of how our consciousness as humans and our ability to think and interact with the world around us and interact with our environment his, his premise was that all of this points to what he theorized as the consciousness of the universe. All right? And of course, I'm smiling as I'm listening to this because I, I, I can already see where this is going. And, and I understand what he is blindly recognizing. Right? He's blindly recognizing something. In other words, in his worldview, the intelligence of us, our intelligence, and the world around us point to some creative design, is how he put it. And so, of course, the only place he had to go with to accredit that creation, that creative design, was the universe, the cosmos, right? There's something going on there, right? And so he's, he's all around it, as far as all around God as the designer, but he, he's just not there. And so the host asked him, it sounds like you're pointing to intelligent design, are you not? And his answer really made me chuckle for lack of tears. Like as if I, if I didn't laugh, then I would have cried out of the brokenness of this statement. He said, well, yes and no. Intelligent design points to God's action in creation. He said, that's not a scientific theory, so it's not a good theory. So he was all over it. He said, the evidence is there. But he just couldn't accept it because it's not a good theory in his mind. See, the lost heart, whether they explicitly say it or not, knows that God has created all things. But the lost heart, because of its hardness, will find any excuse it can to explain our world in every way that avoids the existence of God. This is why we rejoice that the obtaining of our inheritance was not and is not up to us or up to chance or up to whether or not we just happen to hear, but it is complete in Christ. He has purposed all things according to the counsel of his will from the foundation of the world brings us to our next point, that we are chosen to obtain our inheritance. That's what we see here in that second part of verse 11, that in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. So anytime we need confidence in trial, peace in despair, hope in hurting, we look to the cross. And we say, he paid the price. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. 
And this is where all of history is pointing. And that's what Paul wants the church at Ephesus to see. That everything is according to God's purpose. Everything is according to God's design. Just as a swelling chorus or a repeated verse in a song. Paul makes sure that within this one long exclamation of praise, there are repeated themes. As we've seen, this repeated theme of in him, in Christ. And attached to that, hand in hand with that theme, is this theme that in Christ, Christ being existing from the foundation of the world, therefore from the foundation of the world, God was purposing to do everything that he accomplished in Christ. And the rep- repetition And any well-crafted song is not intended to overwhelm or bore us, but rather to subtly emphasize the main point. And here the emphasis is clearly on God's sovereign providence at work from before time began. That this inheritance, which is kept for us in Christ, is our salvation, our redemption, our obtaining of this inheritance then was determined by God from the foundation. And this is in complete harmony with his will, as we see there in verse 11, that he predestined us according to the purpose of him who works all things, all things, according to the counsel of his will. Nothing is outside the scope of God's will. That's the next point you'll see there on your outline, that nothing is outside the scope of God's will. So if you're asking yourself, yeah, but how can I know it? How can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I'm God's elect? How can I know? Well, let me tell you about one of my best friends. We became friends at the end of high school as we were kind of just, you know, two different paths. I was kind of quiet, stuck to myself. He was well-known Big-time athlete, very popular, went, and uh, at the end of high school, he received Christ, and and we became best friends, and uh, we ended up going to college together. He was a groomsman in my wedding, and uh, among being one of the best athletes that I've ever seen, he also loved the Lord ferociously. Like I said, he came to Christ his sophomore year of high school and then never looked back from that moment. He lives now in Wyoming as part of a church plant. And he moved his family up there, his wife and his two daughters up there to share the gospel out west. And he went through a season early on of really laboring over his salvation. Because as he grew in his knowledge of just how sinful and unworthy all of us are, and he was honest about his continuing struggles, he began to question, am I really saved? And and how can I know? And the reality is this, that if God has revealed these truths to us and overwhelmed us with his grace to point to the, to the point of laboring and lamenting over our sinfulness, then we can have confidence that he is at work in that struggle. You see, the place where we look for assurance is the place where our promised inheritance was obtained. And that's on the cross, through the grave, in the person of Jesus. I'll point you back now to Romans chapter 8. I told you we're going to kind of come back and forth here. I want us to just see. We're going to, now, we, we started in Romans 8, 
31, and read verses 31 to 39. So again, we're going to work backwards here. We're going to go to verse 28 of Romans. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the inheritance is as good as ours. And so God is at work in our struggle, in our lamenting over our own sin, in our sufferings, in the broken and sinfulness of this world. And so we can have full confidence that if we have, if God has revealed himself to us and that, and that we are lamenting and laboring over our sin, that he's working in that. And then he's working all of this that we experience in this life together. For good. But for whose good? For those who are calling, called according to his purpose. So the good is not according to what we interpret as good or what we want to be said as good for our lives. But the good that he's working out is his good purpose. Well, what does that look like? Well, we continue reading in Ephesians. So go back there. Verse 12 of chapter 1. Verse 12. So we saw, we, we read in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that, this is what that produces, this is the results of it, this is an equal sign right there, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So here Paul is making a historical distinction because he makes a little distinction there that you might have noticed. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ. So then you might think, well, then he's not talking about me because I wasn't living there at that time. But he's making a historical distinction in order to magnify God's sovereign grace here. And saying, we who were the first to hope in Christ, he's referring to the Jews and the apostles and those who had the privilege and the grace of being able to, to see Jesus face to face and to hear God's word through Christ and to receive that blessing. And so he's not making some hierarchy distinction. The reality is that God's purpose for all of us who open hope in Christ is that all of us might be to the praise of his glory. And that's what he's working out here. Is that God's working in us, us obtaining this inheritance is for the very purpose of us giving God greater glory in everything that we do, in everything that we say, everywhere that we go. That the purpose of us obtaining this inheritance, the purpose of us being in Christ and seeking to be more like Christ is that God would receive the greater glory. We are created in the image of God for the glory of God. Therefore, the security of our salvation rests on God's glorification of himself. 
The security of our salvation rests on God's glorification of himself. This is God's purpose in our salvation, that he may receive glory. Lest we think that our salvation is about us, making us a better person, setting us apart and, and, and helping us rule over the world and lord it over people or, or point out the, the wrongfulness in everybody else. No, the purpose of our salvation, God's setting out what spurred him to do this, to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us, was not anything in and of us, but was wholly an intrinsic motivation. That he loved us so. In love. We see that back there in verse 4. In love he predestined us. So it's according to his doing. He was the one. It spurred himself. And the security of our salvation then rests. And that God is seeking to make himself known. And glorify himself through us. That is to say that the most sure thing that we see throughout God's word, is that God is worthy to be glorified. And that's the most sure thing that we see throughout creation. Just as that cognitive neuroscientist, he sees God's glory in creation. He sees the glory of God in all of creation, in creating us and in making us interact with the world around us. But he just can't see who it is. And so his worldview tells him that he has to find some other explanation for it. But the security of our salvation rests on the fact that God is glorifying himself and at work in us to make himself known. So the most sure thing that we see, as I said a while ago, is that God is worthy to be glorified and is at work to glorify himself and make his glory known. And the pinnacle of how he has revealed his glory to us is in the person of Jesus. The arc of eternal history. And don't miss this statement. The arc of eternal history. So the, the storyline of everything from eternity past to eternity future. The arc of eternal history bends to the plot of God's glory made known in Christ. The arc of eternal history bends to the plot of God's glory made known in Christ. And this is what we see there in verse 10, as we looked at last week. That what he set forth in Christ, there at the end of verse 9, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the sum of all things is found in God's plan set forth in Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is in looking to Christ that we see that our salvation is secure in God's glorifying himself in Christ. See, some struggle with this idea of God's glory being the purpose of all things and, and the, the sum of all things and the, the goal of all things. They'll say, how is that loving? That God would be jealous for his glory. This has even caused many famous personalities to publicly walk away from the faith. The most popular example being that of Oprah, who walked away from a life of faith at the age of 27 because she couldn't understand how God could be loving and jealous for his glory. 
And to that I say, God desires our happiness. Do you know that? He wants us to be happy. He wants us to have joy. But not according to our standards and not according to our plans. As our creator, he knows the only way that we can have true happiness and true joy is to be found in him and to live according to his ways and to give him glory. See, our happiness would have us give ourselves glory or elevate ourselves. But the arc of all of history is bent toward glorifying God in Christ. You see, the happiness that you find in the things of the world in holding your child or your grandchildren, in loving your spouse, the wonder that we feel when we look at the Grand Canyon or when we see a picture from space or hear beautifully composed music, all of these things that bring us happiness or that bring us emotion, all these things are gifts of God's grace, but they're shadows meant to point us to the glory of God in Christ. As I've already alluded to, God's glory is the goal of all things. And so therefore, if God's glory is the goal of all things, and God works all things to accomplish his purposes according to the counsel of his will, then what is the product of that? The product of that then would be that we, as God's creation, would be to the result of the praise of his glory. So God is working in all things at all times to bring about his glory. So may we know this and find security in it. Because as Paul continues, this is what he reinforces as the hope for all believers. Because he set that distinction there. So we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And here's where he draws the line of connection. That it's, it's for all of us. Verse 13. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, that's when you heard, so that's according to God's predestination, according to God's plan, and when you heard and saw and revealed and and God's grace was made known to you, and he says so, the gospel of your salvation, and here's the kicker, and believed in him. Now, let's pause right there because that that would, let's read that again. In him you also... So there's the the line of connection. When you heard the word of truth, so that's according to God's predestination. I mean, we've seen that and it's been repeated throughout this entire song. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Well, believing implies what? It implies a knowledge and understanding and a compulsion of ourselves. So, So how do these things go together like what Paul is seemingly saying because we've been told and we hear outside of God's word all the time that 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 man's will and God's will are two opposed things and we we got to choose one side or the other right that's what we're always told but what Paul so eloquently weaves for us here is that God's choosing and man's will are not at odds Because here Paul beautifully and seamlessly shows how God's sovereignty and man's free will are not two opposed abstract ideals, but rather two friends working harmoniously together. Our will is not at odds with God's sovereignty as if we could ever oppose God's will in any way. 
our choosing is included in God's sovereignty to bring about his glorious purposes according to the counsel of his will. We respond in faith to God's sovereign purpose. So what happens in our lives after this, after we have realized God's grace in the face of our sin, after we've responded in repentance by grace through faith, what happens? Continue reading there in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So God has given us a down payment. He's given us an earnest money check to say that the work that he began in us will be completed. That down payment is the seal, right? The guarantee of the Holy Spirit within us. So as God reveals himself to us and we respond by believing in in faith, by grace, through faith, and we walk according to God's ways, he gives us his Holy Spirit in that time at the moment of salvation as a promise that his work is not done, but that he is going to complete his work. And we see this also in Romans 8. Go back real quick. Romans 8, starting verse 12. I'm going to read verse 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the spirit is at work in us, helping us to put to death the deeds of the flesh so that we are not still enslaved to a life of sin, but instead we are set free to live a life in Christ. And as we see the Spirit's work in our lives, we're constantly reminded to cry out, Abba, Father, because he has adopted us as all sons. We all have the right of inheritance of firstborn sons. And the Spirit bears witness within us that we are his children. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So back to Ephesians 1. We get ready to wrap things up. Because here we see, at the conclusion here of this one long sentence of praise, that our redemption is a triune work. Triune. It might sound a little foreign to you, but that just simply means it's a work of the Trinity. 
Because as we've seen throughout this entire thing, Paul is, is showing how each person of the Trinity is at work in redeeming us, in giving us this inheritance. Because our inheritance was predestined by God the Father. We see that in verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So we've been, our, our redemption, our inheritance is, was predestined by God the Father, and then it was obtained by Christ the Son, as we see that woven in through every bit of this, of this um, exclamation of praise. But we, we see that especially here, verses 6 through 11. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. The beloved being Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11. Of course our first verse for this morning. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then finally, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verses 12 through 14. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. And now we're going to enter a time where we're going to sing these truths and sing these words. So let me pray for us as I'm praying. Our praise team will rejoin us on the stage and lead us in singing the word. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for these incredible truths revealed in your word. That you have been at work and are at work from all history to eternity for your glory. And that the pinnacle of you making that realize and, and, and materializes in Christ. So God, as we consider these things as we sing these things now I pray that you would stir our hearts to obedience for those of us who are in you for those of us who are in Christ may we be moved to repentance and continued obedience and to continue to shine the light of your glory and to be to the praise of your glory Father, if there's anyone here who is not in you, would you please soften their hearts, shine your grace upon them, and help them to move in obedience and accordingly to your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.